0: Hello and welcome to Ideas Matter, the podcast from BOI Charity that explores the important ideas and intellectual trends that are shaping the world today. This is the third podcast in our series on race and racism, the theme of our recent Academy Online event. In this episode, we feature the lecture Race Riots 1919-1992, to From the First World War to Culture War. The summer of 2020 was marked by Black Lives Matter protests and also by an explosion of violence that spread through American cities such as Minneapolis, Atlanta and many more. Race riots in America can be traced back over the past century and more, including major riots in Ferguson, Los Angeles, Detroit and Chicago, to name but a few. This lecture explores the shifting political and cultural factors that have helped shape such riots, looking at what has changed across the course of the period. The lecture is by Dr Cheryl Hudson a lecturer in US political history at University of Liverpool, whose research has focused on the histories of race, reform and political culture in the United States. Cheryl's currently busy working on her forthcoming book entitled Citizenship in Chicago, Race, Culture and the Remaking of American Identity, 1890-1930. to
1: The thing that I really want to do with this talk is to underline the history of race and racism in the United States involves both complexity and change. Um, That doesn't seem like a very controversial thing, but one of the things that surprised me about the discussion surrounding the events of this summer, um, including the discussion from prominent historians, was the exclusive focus on continuity in race relations um, and the racism and injustice that African Americans uh, face in the United States. So for example, the American Historical Association uh, released a statement in June, a statement on the history of racist violence in the United States, which was co-signed by 72 scholarly organizations, which said, what happened to George Floyd stands well within our national tradition. This sordid history stretches back centuries from before Virginia's first slavery legislation in 1662 through emancipation and beyond. Now, perhaps we should ignore the fact that Virginia was an English colony in 1662 and not part of the US nation, which wasn't even created until 1776. But the statement does echo the New York Times 1619 project of 2019 that also projects back into the American past an unbroken line of racist horrors. So it suggests that this outlook of academics and journalists and in media um, is driven by the demands of the present and not by the truths or the realities of the past. Now Clearly, racial injustice, racial inequality, segregation and racism have been constant features of US history. The forms and the levels of racism and the meaning of race itself has changed over time and across space. It has different levels of significance in different periods of time. History is never just about things that stay the same there are always changes for better or worse. And we need to be alive to those changes if we really care about understanding the past and indeed if we want to make a better future. History provides a framework so that events of today can be placed into some kind of context um, and to get, it can give you a scaffold of meaning to interpret current events. Um, so what I want to do here is give you a kind of brief overview of the history of race rights in the US between, in the 20th century. So I want to sketch some background first. Um, now, the 1890s is commonly seen as the nadir of race relations. Around 90% of African Americans still lived in the South in the 1890s. There was a huge denial of uh, their civil rights. Um, there was a development of debt peonage under share profit, the sharecropping system. There was a widespread disenfranchisement of black voters. There was the erection of illegal racial segregation through state laws, which is a system known as Jim Crow which was consolidated in um, a Supreme Court decision called Plessy v Ferguson in 1896. Now Plessy v Ferguson formally separated equality from racial integration with their separate but equal formulation. And in the 1890s racial violence was increasing, especially lynchings, there were over a thousand blacks lynched in that decade, mostly in the south. Um, And there are a number of urban race riots in the the New South. The worst amongst them were in in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898, New Orleans in 1900 and Atlanta, Georgia in 1906. And all of these riots were linked to denial of the vote to African-Americans as the system of Jim Crow was erected. So in the early 20th century, African-Americans could no longer vote in the South after Reconstruction, so they voted instead with their feet. They moved north um, in the beginning of what became known as the Great Migration. Um, And I just paused to say that the history of the Great Migration emphasizes Black agency um, as opposed to the Black victimhood that um, is stressed by the 1619 lobby. So Black migrants began arriving in northern industrial towns and cities during the First World War. They were seeking opportunities that were denied them in the rural South, and they gained access to jobs in steel foundries, in meatpacking factories and railroad yards, um, as well as, importantly, access to the vote and to other citizenship rights. However, with increasing labour unrest and union radicalism during the war, northern employers used black workers as strike breakers, union leaders scapegoated blacks for their organizing failures, and democratic politicians accused black, who are largely republican voters, of perpetrating electoral fraud. How far we've come? So, Tensions mounted and violence broke out in July 1917 first um, when a white mob ransacked and massacred members of the black community in East St. Louis. Um, and the, the St. Louis riot was, is still one of the deadliest race riots in U.S. history. At the end of the war, African-American men came home in uniform uh, from fighting in Europe expecting a better life, believing that they had earned their right to live as equal citizens through their patriotic duty abroad, Um, and in a national context of economic hardship, job competition, union busting, and political repression, and at a time when African-American expectations were higher than ever, racial conflagrations broke out in 20 different cities across the United States. Chicago witnessed the largest and the most violent of the race riots that took place during the National Red Summer of 1919. And I know Chicago the best, um, my, my research has been on Chicago, um, and that riot is really important and particularly the response to the riot is really important in kind of shaping race relations for the 20th century. The riot started when a young black boy swam across this imaginary line that was marking out a segregated beach on the banks of Lake Michigan. He was pelted by stones and he was hit on the head and he drowned. The police response fell heaviest on the black protesters on the beach um, rather than on the white stone thrower. And then these tensions exploded into violence and the situation escalated into eight days of rioting. 38 people lost their lives. In those eight days, 23 black and 15 white. And while the majority of blacks were killed at the hands of marauding white mobs, the white deaths were largely the result of blacks acting in self-defense. So Chicago's African Americans were no longer just victims. Um, When they found... like in the south when they were lynched they were victims when they found their communities under attack in the urban north they fought back and they fought hard Um, now i do want to try and share my screen now because i've got a series of images to show you which i hope will highlight the differences um, between some of the riots that took place in the 20th century so This is an image from um, Chicago in 1919, uh, a white crowd pulling an African-American man off of a trolley car in order to uh, beat and possibly um, kill him. Now historians look at causes, like what they ask why did this happen? um, Because it really isn't enough to say that black people um, were attacked because white people were racist. And the best accounts of the riot, um, the best account of the riot is William Tuttle's excellent race riot, which points to increasing tensions over housing, deteriorating workplace relations, um, citywide political resentment following the re-election of Republican Mayor Thompson in the spring of 1919 with the help of the black vote, and the emergence, importantly, of a new militant outlook among urban blacks in the post-war period. On the other hand, searching for causes lays an emphasis on mounting racial tensions and conflict as if that's all there is. So um, much of the relationship actually between blacks and whites in Chicago before 1919 was ordinary and mundane. <clears throat> Black and white worked together, they, um, they played together, they, their children went to school together. But the, the riot and especially the city's response to the riot drew the colour line through areas of city life that were previously untouched. So there was increasing race consciousness on both sides of the line. Um, Its impact on urban race relations proved dramatic and far-reaching, not least in the framing of the problem as one of race relations, so the riot underlined two sharp Chicago's of African American population that their hopes and aspirations for full, unequivocal, and color-blind citizenship were not as attainable in the urban North as they may have hoped, and the city's response was the Chicago Commission on Ra- Race Relations, which really established a race relations model of conflict resolution that would exist throughout much of the 20th century. This commission was put together against the will of elected representatives in the city council and in the state state legislature, including black councillors and legislators, and against the will of the mayor's office, as well as in opposition um, from black newspapers, black unions, black lawyers, and national spokesman W.B. Du Bois, whose experience of biracial commission work after the 1906 Atlanta riot convinced him that it ultimately reinforced racial divisions rather than overcoming them. This view was apparently shared by a significant segment of Black Chicago in 1919. The governor, Frank uh, Loudon, and that's Illinois governor, Frank Loudon and prominent members of the city's reform establishment assembled a 12 man, six white, six black commission, regardless. And when the commission's report discussed some of the um, failings, um, uh, it did touch on the police, it talked about the courts, the banks, employers, unions, and the city government um, in uh, the city government's failure to protect black rights. But it lay its emphasis most heavily on the prejudicial power of public opinion. So its central recommendation was uh, kind of aiming at overcoming the mutual isolation of a misunderstanding that existed between the races which it located as the main cause of the riot. So on the one hand the report assumed a stark division between the black and white races and thereby kind of reified them and institutionalized this binary racial division, uh, making firm and formal a social rupture that had previously, in fact, been highly contested, fluid, and flexible in Chicago. On the other hand, the, the commission perpetuated and formalized the dynamic toward increasing residential segregation and racial estrangement. So practical suggestions for housing improvements were made, but they were directed toward creating more and better housing within the black belt so that blacks would not move outside of it and cause conflict um, in the surrounding white areas. It might interest you to know that in 1910, black Chicagoans were less segregated than Italian immigrants living in Chicago. While there was not one single census tract that was even 90% black in 1920, a year after the riot, by 1930, a decade later, Two thirds of blacks lived in areas at least 90% black and one fifth in tracts exclusively black. Um, and I think that the commission's work really helped to shape that outcome. In 1943, uh, there was another riot in Detroit during the Second World War, uh, rather than the First World War, and there were similar dynamics at play. There were social tensions over um, housing shortages and um, and a kind of antagonism towards the arrival of um, around 400,000 migrants, black and white, from the South, to work in the war industry. And in the Detroit riot, and I think I have an image there, 1943, 25 blacks and nine whites were killed. So the character of race riots for the first half of the 20th century was mostly urban, mostly northern, white communities attacking blacks with official complicity. Um, Peace was restored fairly quickly, but um, often with increased segregation to keep the peace now in the 1920s, there was a sociologist at the University of Chicago called Robert Park, and he talked about the race rights. He was actually um, kind of tangentially involved with the, um, the commission, but he saw the conflict of race rights as a, as a sign of progress, um, which he, he just regretted that blacks couldn't win them sometimes. Um, he, saw that, he thought that conflict, even violent conflict, could act as a positive engine of social change. Um, in the event, I mean, you can see from this image here that um, it was really impossible for blacks to win race riots in this climate, right? So they are not only in the minority, but the complicity of the authorities, the police with the, the racist crowd um, meant that they were never going to win. But the commission, the, the Chicago Commission on Race Relations and other similar commissions have worked um, post-riot to harness and contain any change that might um follow from any riots, and and this this commission in 1919 was the beginning of this race relations model that was kind of harnessed onto um, American cities. Now in the second half of the 20th century, there's a very different dynamic for urban race riots. Um, It's about the expression of black anger and frustration rather than white fear of the threat that blacks posed. So in the riots of the sixties, blacks were the principal actors, they weren't the victims and they were the principal uh, and the principal targets were symbols of authority and particularly the police, which was the most visible uh, target of um, a symbol of authority in in black lives. So after the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which was the culmination of the civil rights movement in the South, Urban riots took place over four hot summers in northern cities uh, between 1964 and 68, and um, I have an image of. Uh, I the image, I'm there we go. I have an image of 1967, uh, in which summer there were 159 race riots. Um, the worst of which were in Newark and Detroit, and this is uh, Detroit pictured here, uh, where 43 people lost their lives, 33 black, 10 white. Um, and there were thousands um, arrested, there were 7,000 arrested, uh, over 1,000 injured, um, lots of buildings destroyed. But we should note that the riots of the 60s were almost entirely African-Americans against the police. Um, And this was different from earlier that I've just been talking about and things were also changing again. So in 1968, after Martin Luther King was shot dead, there were protests and angry uprisings um, coast to coast in more than 100 US cities. Um, and so you can see two images on this slide. On the, the image on the left, you see a diverse multiracial crowd who are uh, mourning um, Martin Luther King's uh, death together. But then there's um, The riots and the violence was mostly contained within and felt by African American communities, which is where you see the devastation on the right hand side of the the right image. So there's a totally different set of circumstances to Chicago in 1919, but there's a similar official response. After the 67 riots, um, Lyndon Johnson sets up the President's National Advisory Committee on Civil Disorders, which is also known as the Kerner Commission. Um, Moderate members of the New The liberal coalition were handpicked by LBJ to locate the causes of the riots. Um, Now, LBJ was in trouble in Vietnam at the time, and he was looking for a commission to endorse his Great Society program and to blame communist agitators as scapegoats of the riots. What he got instead was an unraveling of the liberal coalition in the conflicts that ensued between law and order and reform factions on the commission. So when confronting the problem of race, the two sides, on this commission, the two sides planted the seeds of the culture wars to come. Um, And of course, in 1968, Nixon is elected on a law and order platform following these riots. The final report of the Kerner Commission launched a scathing attack on white racism and warned, quote, our nation is moving toward two societies, one black, one white, separate and unequal. The commission advocated for reforms in housing, employment and and schooling, and um, it set out ways to overhaul racist social institutions and the 1968 Fair Housing Act, which was passed the same year, um, was, you can probably see as the last legislative achievement of the civil rights era. But just like Chicago's 1919 commission, the Kerner Commission saw the central problem as cultural. So white attitudes were racist. Ultimately, alongside its social and political diagnosis, uh, the Kerner Commission reified racial estrangement as a cultural phenomenon and kind of wrapped it up in a bow with liberal guilt. So many Americans hoped that the civil rights movement would break the hold of racism. But after these riots, the feeling grew that racism was still dominant and had only changed in form. So since the 70s, but accentuated much more fully from the early 1990s, there's been widespread disillusionment about the possibilities of change across the political spectrum. There's been a loss of idealism and a decline of faith in progress, in democracy and in justice, especially colorblind justice, um, which itself is now seen as racist. Um, and this meant that a better future seemed to many impossible to grasp. And so we come to 1992 with Rodney King. Now Rodney King was a black motorist um, and his beating by um, a a group of uh, LAPD policemen was captured on video by a bystander. These policemen were then found not guilty by an all-white jury um, which led to the LA riots and the LA riots were the worst riots to date of US history. And they seem like, nineteen ninety two seems like a similar dynamic to the 60s. There's anger at police brutality and there's injustice of the system. 63 people are killed, thousands injured, thousands arrested, billions of dollars of damage. But there were significant differences in uh, to the 60s rights. And especially, like, two I just want to kind of pull out. One is that the people involved were different. So the largest single group of writers were Hispanic. 51% of rioters were Hispanic, not African-Americans. About a third of the rioters were African-American, whereas in the 60s, it had been entirely African-American. And even some whites said 13% of writers and, and looters were yeah. white. And the second point is that... Um, public attitudes toward the rioters have become much more sympathetic so it suggests that more groups were becoming detached from like both by their involvement in the riots themselves and the looting um, and their um, their support for or their sympathy towards the rioters Um, many more groups particularly amongst young people were becoming um, uh, detached from mainstream values and liberalism showing signs um, by 92 of being exhausted. So to recap In 1919, the response to the riot is a commission that kind of tried to manage the change to contain the conflict and actually accentuated segregation. In 1968, the response is a commission which does the same kind of containment of contestation, which, well, it was an attempt to contain contestation, but it backfired. And then in 92, there is no serious attempt made after the riot to reform anything. There's a commission that's set up by the the police to reform the LAPD, and that's it. Okay. Um, instead, what we get is Clinton's crime bill, and this is in 1992. Three strikes and you're out. Uh, this is not. This image is 1992 with Clinton, kind of. Um, Campaigning for office uh, for president um, and standing in a prison yard uh, with African American prisoners behind him, so mass incarceration increased dramatically in the 1990s. Young black men were thrown in jail and out of the way, and the problems kind of pushed under the rug. And um, and I just you know I want to make the point that pre- uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris are deeply implicated in the creation and application and enforcement of that crime bill. So I don't think that we're gonna be finding a way forward anytime soon. Um, there is a sense that meaningful change is off the agenda. Um, liberals are doubling down on law and order and giving free reign to the market. But since 92, two kind of possibly contradictory things have taken place. One is that attitudes about race have been massively liberalized um, and surveys consistently show that racial prejudices are vanishing. And two is that the role of identity has loomed much larger. So the cultural politics of recognition has replaced that of social and economic redistribution. So identity politics gave birth to the kind of brittle culture wars that we're living through now that fall roughly into the kind of law and order and the the, um, critical race theory camps. So the context of today's protest since 92, the outlook has been more about rage at the impossibility of change, rather than any kind of programme for change.
0: You've been listening to the lecture Race Riots 1919-1992, to from the First World War to Culture War, given by Dr Cheryl Hudson, which was recorded at the Academy Online event Race and Racism. The next podcast in this series will feature the lecture The Use and Abuse of the Legacy of the Civil Rights Movement by Nicholas Kinloch. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, then please do subscribe to Ideas Matter podcast on your favourite feed. And for more details of the Academy event where this lecture was recorded and to access a series of recommended readings to help you explore the themes in more depth, have a look at the accompanying notes to this podcast or visit the Academy at our website, theboi.co.uk. Finally, if you're able to give a financial donation to support this podcast or any of the BOI charities projects, then head over to our website and hit the donate button. Thanks.